0: Moot podcast your chance to explore the connections between the way we live, the beliefs we hold, and the world we're in. This podcast was recorded at Lambeth Palace in October two thousand eleven where Ian Mobsby gave this address on the subject of mission and formation to the Fresh Expressions Roundtable No. 5 for the promotion of Fresh Expressions of the Contemplative and Catholic traditions, particularly of the Church of England and the Methodist Church in England. Okay, I want to start by uh, widening the original title, which was about Fresh Expressions and Formation, because I don't think you can talk about formation um, without talking about mission. So I want to explore three questions. Um, The first question, what is mission in terms of fresh expressions of church, coming from a contemplative and Catholic perspective? And what are the priorities for mission, looking ahead now in the 21st century? Um, Secondly, what is formation in terms of fresh expressions of church, coming again from a contemplative and Catholic perspective? And finally, what is the mixed economy, and what is the relationship between (coughs) parish and new forms of church regarding mission and formation? So immediately, I want you to talk about this quite broadly because there are now three church traditions in Fresh Expressions. So I want to start with what is mission. And I'm going to draw on, um, particularly Vatican II, definitions and the work of S.B. Bevans, who's written a very new and very good book on the subject. All mission, if it is authentically Christian, begins with the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Mission begins in the nature of God in Trinity, which becomes the Missio Trinitatis. The mission and purpose of God in the one yet three persons, where God mystically and sacramentally demonstrates the gathering and sending of the divine and triune God. From the Trinity then comes the Missio Christi, the mission of God, the Redeemer, who came to our world as the incarnation of God, who constituted the Missio Ecclesia, which is the gathering and sending of the people of God, called and commissioned into apostolic mission as the church, which has continued to this day and will continue until the consummation when God ultimately draws all things back into the restored kingdom. So we as the church in this, the now but not fully yet kingdom, are called to love and serve God, love ourselves and love others, and seeking to catch up with what God is already doing concerning mission in our contemporary world. From a specifically Catholic and contemptive perspective, we are commissioned and empowered by the spirit to a ministry and mission of word and sacrament, where mission is the outworking of the Laos, the entire people of God to mission, the ordained and the ordinary priesthood together as one. And as Stephen Bevans has said in his chapter entitled, Mission as Participation in the Trine God, quoting from the Vatican II documents, mission has its origins in the heart of God. God is a fountain <laughs> of sending love, This is the deepest source of mission. It is impossible to penetrate deeper still. There is mission because God loves people. The church community participating in God's life is God's special people living God's life of communion in a covenant of relationship and love, a people convinced of its fundamental equality through its common baptism in the name of the triune God. But as communion in mission this image takes us on a dynamic meaning as God's people in pilgrimage, in sent pilgrimage, committed to sharing the full implications of God's covenant with all humanity. So this understanding of mission has emerged in the thinking of the Second Vatican Council and importantly, the Orthodox Church, as well as Anglicanism. So this is a sacramental, contemplative and mystical starting place where we begin with a trinity-informed ecclesiology ...that takes us to missiology. But what a practice. The five marks of mission... ...are the practices that all parts of the Anglican Communion are called to. That's all of it doing it, not just the enthusiasts. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom as evangelism. To teach, baptise and nurture new believers. To respond to human need by loving service in mission action. To seek to transform unjust structures of society in mission action to seek to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth in mission action. There are important aspirations that we should be focused on and the word is action. The mission explicit within the fresh expressions thinking is coming out of the intuition that we start with incarnational theology and practice through sharing in God's love to and for the world, which then opens up the landscape of redemptive theology that calls people to a response. This is articulated well by the now Bishop Stephen Croft and his definitions of Fresh Expressions. Firstly, that Fresh Expressions is a particular approach to mission that is about, quote, building ecclesial communities out of contextual mission. Or more formally in the definition of Fresh Expressions that we all know but need to reiterate, a fresh expression is a form of church for our changing culture established primarily for the benefit of people who are not members of any church. It will come into being through principles of listening, loving service, incarnational mission, and making disciples. It will have the potential to become a mature expression of church, shaped by the gospel and the enduring marks of the church for its cultural context. So this is an attempt to do mission to the elements of our culture defined as modern and increasingly post-secular, And there is much evidence sociologically that there is a new post-secular element as a continuation of late modernity. And it is in response to post-secularization that we are attempting to reach out to in mission. This is an apostolic and deeply Trinitarian uh, methodology, again, that is not new, and resonant with the work of Roland Allen, Vincent Donovan, and many missiologists who start with a Missio Dei and then come to practice. And this importantly includes the tradition of monasticism. A theology of mission sees the church emerging out of the interplay of God's commission to share in God's mission, contextual local expression and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. It has always had a fluid identity. The problem as I see it is not the foundation of this vision but more the mismatch between theology and practice in the church. There seems to be a deep disconnection, a dualism that I want to challenge. The parish system in church history is a reasonably recent innovation but seems to be the holy grail of many of our church traditions and particularly of the Catholic Anglican perspective. May it because we are still holding too tightly to an enlightenment and reformation informed understanding of the church and its place in society. So may it be that we need to remember a much longer history and remember that the church has had to reform radically eight times in eight different social epochs in the last 200 years, 2,000 years. I'm concerned that in mission, most of the church today seems to start with an understanding of church as parish, as an institutional construct that it then takes to mission so that mission in this process becomes about sustaining an institution at the local or national level, rather than anything to do with the nature of God and the Missio Dei. In so doing, we are in great danger of over-associating God's mission with maintaining a particular social construct of the local church, which in effect is God's mission being boxed in in a human construct. If you remember, I am suggesting that deep Christian Christianity begins with the sacramental nature of God that is taken to missiology, where mission is seen as deeply part of God's loving character. By implication, if you start with an institution and take that to missiology, then this is not only a distortion of church, but ultimately a distortion of mission and formation. There is a difference between a particular expression of church and the mission of God. The construct of the church will always be imperfect and somewhat a human construct. Yes, blessed by God in its faithful imperfection, but to raise one expression of church above another creates the danger of idolatry. This is why we need a mixed economy of church, of parish and experimental and other expressions of church predominantly working together. One is not more (coughs) important than the other. Otherwise, mission becomes distorted by the need to get people in and overly focused on worship. As demonstrated in their recent book, For the Parish, a critique of fresh expressions by Andrew Davison and Alison Milbank, I want to argue that this is exactly what they and others have done before them. There is a dogmatism, and dare I say it, a deep arrogance and polemic coming from some of the voices from traditionalist Anglicanism and radical orthodoxy that sees the parish as the predominant construct for all mission and formation and whether we like it or not, this seems to me to be bordering on an obsession, if not an idol. From the earliest days of Fresh Expressions, we have reiterated that attractional models of church as come to us may not be that helpful in contemporary mission and evangelism to those who are never church. Yes, the parish church has a key place within our organization of church, within the local context, predominantly, I think at the moment, for its relevance to de-church people, Yes, it has key places in the local Church of England, but it is not the only way that must be defended at all costs. It seems to me that in much of my speaking around England, this dualism, dualism between theology and mission practice is a big problem, and that such an attractional model will overstate worship services and therefore often only relate to those who are churched or de-churched. I was once one of these never church people and only really related to church when I experienced its life outside of the formality of a worship service. I am also concerned that many churches call something a Fresh Expressions when it really isn't, which can be some form of sexed-up alternative worship service or some form of trendy commodified activity such as Messy Church, which is then instituted, often with no attempt to listen to context, with a vision of getting people in at all costs. Here, Fresh expression feels a little like special needs church, which, given time and special attention, attention, people should then be able to get onto proper church as traditional worship services. This clearly will not do. To demonstrate what I mean, I want to look at the circles diagram I've given out in front of you, where I have tried to show the difference between a missional and attractional church. If you look at the circles in the second diagram, to access the attractional model of church sociologically, The access to the community from outside is mediated through a worship service. Now, worship services are alien and never going to connect with many never church people, and that included me. No matter how moving the liturgy or music or how much you use with a data projector, they are still having to access the people of God through the activity of worship, which we have to say in a post-Christendom context can be incredibly alien. The missional church, in contrast, connects people relationally with where they are and hopefully through some form of loving service and does not place an expectation of people to enter worship services before they know what they are. This is why I think in many fresh expressions of church where we have overused worship, it ends up being predominantly middle class and white. This is a vision of mission in conformity rather than mission in diversity. It seems to me that we as a church are still somewhat blinded by an obsession with being a purely attractional model of church, whether parish or fresh expression or network church. An attractional church is a church in pastoral mode that will be unable to engage in mission to the unchurched. We need contemplative and Catholic fresh expressions to shift from being church in pastoral mode to apostolic mode, requiring renewed energies and vision for loving action in the world. So we are left with three strategic questions. What will it take for the Catholic and contemplative constituencies of the Anglicans, Methodists, and United Reformed Church to let go of this obsession with an attractional model of church, and instead take discerning risks with incarnational (laughs) mission projects, projects that we will hope will become church? And this is, importantly, a sociological um, strategy. secondly and also what will it take for the catholic and contemplative constituencies to let go of the need to center everything around worship services to open up relational engagement with the unchurched as sacramental activity in its own right surely this is the inheritance of the catholic and monastic traditions and lastly where are the innovative catholic experimental communities i see a few contemplative expressions represented here and in the country but where are Catholic missional communities? There are hardly any that are really fresh expressions and totally not associated with new forms of worship. Right, I've been quite mony. I'm going to move on. <laughs> so next, we move on to formation. We live in challenging but exciting times. Like the rest of fresh expressions, we, the Catholic and contemplative traditions, need to rethink what we do about formation with never-churched people. It seems to me that there are four distinct groups of people we are engaging with of the never-church social groupings that are emerging. And they are, whether they know it or not, spiritual questers who will never be religious followers. There is an important distinction between spiritual questers and religious followers. So when it comes to formation, we cannot rely on the ways we have done formation, which has largely been with people who are thinkers, who then explore the thinking of the faith and become religious followers. So, how do we do formation with people who will never be religious followers and who instead are self determining, experience centered spiritual questers? So, formation then has to relate to the task of helping people to shift from being spiritual tourists to co traveling Christian pilgrims. Largely, these people are looking for something that works and brings transformation and transformative meaning rather than anything to do with conceptual thinking or conceptual truth. So what are these four groupings? And briefly, mystical questers, those seeking new solutions to the problems they face with an ABC spirituality, anything but the church. They are not driven by deficit needs, but are seeking more of an open-ended, shamanistic, or nature-driven spirituality, or meaning. Secondly, is restorative questers, and by large, the greatest? These are people who have emerged out of the darker side of consumptive culture, not knowing who they are and struggling with all sorts of addictions, anxiety and mental illness and all the things that Gareth has already identified and how that has basically fragmented and ghettoised our culture. These people are desperately seeking for healing and spiritual relief, desperate for meaning and the centeredness of life. Displacement deniers are the next group and they are mostly unchurched men project their spiritual needs into activities such as the gym or spa or sport. Often such people are totally unused to the language of spirituality, so there is a deep split between experience and understanding. And lastly, post-religious questers are those who are now de-churched, beyond de-churched, because they have found it anachronistic when they went to church, as it contributed nothing, to, nothing positively to their lives. Or often, where the life of church was so simplistic that it caused a dualism with their, world, their life in the outside world and something had to give. They now are questing for alternative spirituality to bring personal transformation. So the challenge then is how do we relate to a culture of post-secularisation where many people are spiritual questers and in a mixed economy where the church is called to serve and engage with people in the different elements of culture, whether that be modern or post-secular. In the Moot community, we have been using a meditation group and a serum discussion group to engage with three of these groupings. We have realized that we are going to need to do something like a 12-step group to open up the Christian faith. Why? Because it needs to be about life. It needs to be about dialogue rather than import, the importation of facts. And it needs to be about praxis, about doing and living, about a rhythm of life rather than just received wisdom. So we are now in Moot exploring the creation of a 12-step approach to Christian formation. There is a desperate need for Catholic and contemporary fresh expressions to start experimenting with different approaches to Christian formation. We have got very good at pre-catechesis dialogue but meet in our weakness concerning approaches to discipleship and catechesis that will work with never church people who are largely spiritual questers who are used to consuming as a way of life in our culture in the unrestrained global market. So, for example, one resource I'm inspired by the work of Father Alan Wennert and Philip St. Romain in the Roman Catholic Initiative in the United States, who have piloted a 12 step approach to discipleship there. And I quote their course in the outline because it excites me. Step one admitting our powerlessness, the roots of selfishness, powerlessness and sin, and the practices for step one. Step two, trusting in a higher power, faith and reason, Jesus as our hope, peace beyond understanding. And then working with the practices of step two, step three: centering in God, who is our God, surrender of the will, surrender of our lives, the inner struggle, loving in the spirit, and then working with the practices for step three. Step four: knowing ourselves, values and choices, a suggested format of moving forward, and practices for that stage. Step five: admitting our wrongs, letting go. The fifth stage: stage of sacramental reconciliation. The importance of counselling and the practice of step five. Step six, eliminating our characteristics that hold back our humanity. Understanding emotional pain, time for change and then working with the practices. Step seven, letting go, letting God. The false ego needs, true needs. Tending the garden of ourselves, the practices for step seven. Step eight, making peace in relationships, making a list, willing to make amends with others, facing your pain. Step nine, making amends and forgiveness, approaching others, forgiveness, and working with forgiveness. Step 10, living one day at a time, commitment to growth. Step 11, meeting God through prayer, relationship with God, essentials of prayer, contemplative prayer forms, change and growth. And finally, step 12, walking the walk, the value of Christian spirituality, stages on the spiritual journey, giving and receiving, Daily living and a rhythm of life. Now I'm excited because that is the sort of thing that can bring transformative life to many who are lost and seeking meaning in our culture. And at, at its depth, it is deeply contemplative and sacramental. It focuses on dialogue and author practice rather than an overdependence on right thinking or orthodoxy, which is a sign of our overdependence on enlightenment and reformation approaches to formation. We need to hold on to the tradition while moving forward. It is no coincidence that we are experiencing great interest in spirituality, such as the BBC programme, The Big Silence, the monastery, the convent, and also a growing a growth in new monastic communities within this country. This is because our now post-secular culture is seeking for transformative experience and meaning. So finally, the third question, what of the mixed economy, or as I prefer it, the mixed ecology, where we need different forms of church to reflect different soil types or different contexts. These need to have a strong identity about affirming about what is good in society, as Gareth's already said, and seeking to challenge what is bad or dehumanising. And I think Gareth is completely right to challenge the Mission Shape report that it is very weak on looking at mission as action, as participation in wider society. It is somewhat over-focused on evangelism. Too many churches seem to have sold out and become syncretetic to the language and practice of the market and business. I am concerned that church as business is very much in keeping with an attractional model of church which then distorts the local church from doing costly mission. And so we come back to the concept of mission and immediately I want to critique what I have said. I think in fresh expressions I've said, we have been over focused on evangelism and being good news rather than also the calling for mission as action for social, economic, and ecological justice. Some people will become interested in the church if they see it as a place for justice and a place of belonging and a place of a society centred on such justice. I think the church is anything but a just society and generally treats people appallingly. There is something wrong with a church when I see so many ministers struggling with anxiety, depression, and overworking. Not healthy spirituality and something, is something that true spiritual questers will avoid at all costs. They need to experience the Christian community, the ecclesia, as being deeply transformative. If it is unhealthy, then they will never have anything to do with it. A friend of mine went to a church recently who I've been encouraging to experience a church, and I tried to think of one that was near them that would be a good one, and he said they were lovely when they came to meet me, but they felt a bit like a family who have just had a row. Doesn't that describe most churches that you know? So mission not only relates to social and economic justice, but also the great commandment to love God, love ourselves and love others. And that we as Christians are as brothers and sisters. Well, I'm not sure we really live in this way in the church. If we did, with Christians having a high regard to being brothers and sisters, then the fights between church traditions would be very different. And a vibrant mixed economy would be possible and evident. And please hear, we need a strong and vibrant mixed economy of church. So we need chapters and deaneries to start to work together rather than compete with one another for the kingdom. We need greater partnership for the gospel. With a celebration of parish and Bishop mission orders together, working together, collaboratively, not in competition, but recognising that every context in the United Kingdom now is complex and that we need all sorts of initiatives to face the mission and formation needs of what is very fragmented culture. We need an effective and collaborative mixed economy of church in every area of England to recover a sense of shared sacramental communion and commissioning for who we are. And what we do in the name of God as expressed in the church. For the church to be effective in mission, evangelism, and formation, we need local expressions of the contemporary Catholic church traditions to create time resources to engage with such activity, exploration, and need. Too many clergy say they're too busy. Too many clergy expect everybody else to do this work. We need people to get their hands dirty. If not, we the church will never be truly able to hold a sacramental vision of practising presence to all people at all levels of society. This challenge is with us and all those who seek to serve God through the church. So I want to finish with a quote from David Tacey. What if it, the church, ignores the present challenge or does not care enough to take up dialogue with the world? The yearning for sacredness, spiritual meaning, security and personal engagement with the spirit are the primary needs and longings of the contemporary world. What is happening if the institutions of faith are so bound up with themselves and resistant to change that they cannot make any contribution to these needs? Our contemporary situation is full of ironies and paradoxes. Chief among these is that our secular society has given birth to a sense of the sacred, and yet our sacred traditions are failing to recognize the spiritual potential of this situation. What we do is important. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.